listening to Making a Difference About Domestic Violence and Abuse with host Shereen Rice on the CWR Talk Network. Good evening, this is Shereen Rice with Making a Difference About Domestic Violence. My goal for this show is to educate and help in the healing journey for those that are suffering from domestic abuse. If you would like to call in, we are live tonight, so you can call in. The number is 917-889-8078. If you are listening tonight and would like to get in touch with me, I have an email address, shereencwr at gmail.com. Let me um, spell that out for you, S-H-A-R-E-E-N-E-C-W-R at gmail.com. I would love to hear from you. I want to do a shout-out tonight to Audrey May. Audrey May Prosper. She gave a beautiful talk on hope and moving forward uh, at the UVU conference. For those of you that may have missed it, she did an absolutely amazing job and just a total shout out to her for that. Um, I would like to remind everyone that we're on every Thursday night at 6 o'clock p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Mountain and 8 p.m. Central Time. My show may be heard on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play if you subscribe to those uh, services. If you want direct link to those services, you can go to the CWR Talk Network homepage and click on the logo for that service. If at any time you experience a trigger by this topic, please call the national hotline at 1-800-799-SAFE, 1-800-799-7233. And we're going to go to a public service announcement, and we will be right back. Did you just look down at your phone? You did it again, didn't you? You know, you're flying down the road in a three-ton hunk of steel, and a text takes your eyes off the road for an average of five seconds. At 55 miles per hour, that's long enough to travel the length of a football field and cause some serious damage. Turn it off. Trust me. Whatever it is, you'll live. Learn more at StopTechStopRex.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration. Welcome back to Making a Difference About Domestic Violence and Abuse with your host, Shereen Rice, on the CWR Talk Network. back. Uh, Let me tell you a little bit about my guest tonight, um, Shawanda. Understanding firsthand of experiencing traumatic situations, Shawanda lives to help others realize that what one has experienced is not who they are, but that part of the journey may become an integral piece in developing you for a future you would never expect. With her faith in God and learning to understand and rely upon his words. Shawanda has learned not to compartmentalize life, rather to seek God and his wisdom in everything that surrounds us daily. An author and founder of DeSilla Comfort Center, Shawanda uses her writings and teachings to help others too. Also stop also stop compartmentalizing their life, realizing the wholeness of who we who they are. She aims to help change the perspective of those who are in search of a new beginning and rediscover their value while grasping a deeper relationship with God. Seeing the world through their 
his eyes, Shawanda has been featured on iHeartRadio shows such as the AME Experience, Advance Your Arts, the international show Carry On Harry, and CWR Talk Radio, Read, Read, Read radio show. And now CWR um, making a difference about domestic violence as well. She has also been a keynote speaker for places such as the city of Goodyear. She currently resides in Goodyear, Arizona with her son, uh, where she founded DeSilla Comfort Center, established to assist those affected by sexual assault, domestic violence, and, and, um, and abuse. Okay, so I want to welcome Shawanda to the program. Welcome, Shawanda. Hi, Shereen. Thank you for having me. <laughs> Thank you for coming, for sure, for sure. Okay, so the first thing we want to talk about is what's the story behind the name Desilla Comfort Center? So, uh, yeah, so Desilla Comfort Center um, is actually named after the combination between my, my mother and her twin brother. Um, their names are Desiree and Demetrius, they are, um, and their middle names are Aquila and Priscilla. Um, and Aquila and Priscilla are actually, um, were actually missionaries in the Bible um, who went out with uh, the Apostle Paul and to establish uh, one of the churches as a church at, at Corinth. Um, and so they, you know, they were just ordinary people that opened their homes up um, to help those who just wanted to um, learn more about Christ and to serve Christ. And so basically they were, they opened their homes out to refugees. Um, and so what we wanted to do when it came to uh, the Silla Comfort Center is kind of embody that same mission of hospitality and grace and open our doors to people who are in need of love and who are in need of that grace and mercy and just show them that love of Christ and that same and embody that same spirit because with my mother and my uncle, that's one thing that I've always noticed with them, right? Is that no matter where they are and no matter what they've done, and they live in completely opposite areas, right? But when you go to their homes, one thing that they will do is that they love you. They just show you love. They feed you. They make sure that you're comfortable no matter who you are. Um, and so that's just something that they've always taught me, and not just because they told me to do it, but they demonstrated that just through their life. And so we just want to demonstrate that. So it's just something I've learned through them and that's what we want to embody at the Silicon Center. Wow, that's way cool. And share a little bit about your vision and your mission statements. Um, so what we want to do is, um, so we were established to truly help those who are survivors of sexual assault, domestic violence, and human trafficking. And for us, um, we want to do things a little different. Um, I am a survivor of child abuse. I am a survivor of sexual assault and, and also domestic violence. Um, and we have 
what we what I consider a multifaceted um, mission. Um, one is to help those who are hurting, right? Um, to bring in those survivors and to help them to receive a healthy start at life, um, to bring them in to establish um, a new foundation. Um, we have our transitional home will have an 18-month program, and that 18-month program will be broken down into uh, three phases, um, a foundational phase, which we will bring, um, allow them to have several programs, um, which will have, um, <laughs> I'm sorry, which will have, um, um, I don't know why I'm a lost for words right now. I apologize. <laughs> oh, no, you're um, good. You're on the radio. <laughs> we all do that. I do that. Right. <laughs> I know, right? Um, we'll help them with uh, building healthy relationships, um, financial management, um, job training, um, spiritual foundation, um, employment, uh, resume writing, everything that they need in order to get them back to starting their life all over again. Um, so that even as far as helping them with um, finding a new place to live, um, and one thing that we want to do is what we found out is normally when you have uh, emergency shelters, uh, we give them a lot of resources and then you know, we'd let them back out um, after a certain period of time. But sometimes when people leave emergency shelters or even some transitional homes, they have a lot of resources in their hands, but they're not quite ready to move into a new place or they haven't quite found a new place to go into. Or maybe they found a new place, but what happens when they find a new place to, to move, right? So part of what we wanted to establish was an aftercare piece of it. So that third phase that they'll move into is we want to actually hold their hand when they move into that new, that new place. Um, we want to give them that smooth transition into their um, time frame of um, independence. So when they move into a new home and they have that, that new job and they're now living on their own, we don't want to just leave them at that time frame because what happens when they hit a bump in the road? What happens during that time when something happens and they receive a trigger for the first time when they're living in their, their time of independence? We want them to still have those case managers and we want them to still have those mentors with them so that um, – you know, they have someone to kind of lean on to help them to say, well, this has happened, so what do I do? Um, how do I figure this out? So we can say, okay, well, let's, let's look back at your plan. Let's see what's happening. Let's look at the goals that you set. What's working for you? What's not working for you? How do we reset? How do we help you through this next phase? Um, because, you know, we don't want to just push them out the door and say, yeah, great, you have a new place to live. No, we want to make sure they have a new transition and help them through that period for um, a set period of time as well. So we want to do things different to where, like I said, they are stable. Um, and then the other thing that we want to do with our, our program is get our community involved. We want our community to understand that, you know, yes, it's great that we have transitional homes. Yes, it's great that there's emergency shelters out there to help those that are, that are in need. But that is a very um, reactive type of process. Right. If our community is more involved in understanding how these things happen, 
What are some of the symptoms? What are things that we can be more mindful of even when it comes to our children, even at a very young age? That turns us into a more proactive community um, and allows us to be more involved together so that we can maybe have less of these shelters, less of these transition homes. And then, therefore, we can create a cure for these issues, and, and we cannot have these things down the road. So we well, have, like I said, a multifaceted type of mission. Yeah. And let me ask you this. A lot of people um, or organizations uh, that I'm affiliated with uh, have ones to help the abusers, has a program mm-hmm. to help the abusers. Are you guys looking toward anything like that? Or do you have anything abusers? like that? Yeah, help the um, to, abusers. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, for being, you said you're being proactive, not reactive. Proactive would also mm-hmm. be uh, assisting the abusers to not abuse anymore. Yeah, so that's where um, the awareness and prevention comes in. For instance, um, understanding things to help you to um, – so let's let's look at this. Like this month is child abuse prevention, um, child abuse awareness, um, child abuse prevention month. So we have an event that's coming up this Saturday. And so what we want to do is we want to provide um, resources to the community about um, programs that are available out there to parents of even children that are zero to five. So let's look at, you know, you have a parent that, say someone that was even a, um, someone who had an unexpected pregnancy and that, or even just someone who's a single parent or, or maybe you just have a lot of stressors in your life. Um, so you have a lot of triggers that may happen, stress factors or what have you that you may not even be aware of that could potentially cause you to be an abuser and you may not even be aware of that. So we want to provide resources to help you understand that there are classes and things that will help you even with that aspect um, yeah. or even to help you to realize that um, there's just a lot of, like I said, resources that are out there to even help a family member or a friend um, to realize that, hey, you know, just because someone that is being abused, you may not necessarily see a physical sign. There may be other signs that are out there as well. So these are things that you can help your neighbor with to send them to classes or to send them to whatever resources that will help them with. So that's how you can help um, abusers, or that's how you can help your neighbor or help pe- just different people in your community. So there's a lot of other resources that are out there so that we can help those who are abusers to get them into the right places as well. So there's a lot of different ways to do that because they are the ones who are left out. And I noticed that going to a lot of seminars, yeah. a lot of conferences or what have you, that they are the ones that are left out a lot of times. And um, most of the time, there's no there's no grace, there's no mercy for the ones that are abused and what happens is, is that they're left to reoffend. And we can't have that because then we just wind up again having more those who are victimized and having more situations so we have to have more shelters, have having to have more transitional homes and we don't want that. Yeah, uh, what I found in my research is a lot of victims react to abuse. It's kind of like I'm a I'm a teacher by by trade, and if I have mm-hmm. a kid that hits another kid, and I know the kid that hit the other kid isn't a hitter, I'll say to the other kid, "What did you do?" Because they don't hit people. 
But in law enforcement, they don't do that. They look at, well, who did the hitting? Okay, nothing else matters. You did the hitting. Well, they don't Mm want to know what really was underlying and the years of torture that those women experienced. They just want to know. They just want to get a, a quick fix, and and then we have eighty-six uh, percent of all uh, females in jails are are victims of domestic violence for that purpose. And we have. It's not uncommon for law enforcement to to um, to arrest the wrong party. It happens all the time because think about it. Abusers are very good actors, right? Mm-hmm. And um, we fell for it. <laughs> Why wouldn't they? <laughs> you know, we fell for the act, and uh, so and so law enforcement is no better than that. But so I'm glad that you're addressing um, perpetrators as well, and um, some other programs that I'm familiar with addresses perpetrators, and I I think that's wonderful. Um, well, I, I, I hope that, it does help. Yeah, and I think this. <laughs> Yeah, I think the key is to remember is that hurt people hurt people. Um, and so, you know, I, I I think sometimes we look at it and say, you know, well, you just have bad people. And I, I think sometimes we fail to realize is that a lot of times you, we fail to realize that hurt people hurt people. Unless we sit down and realize, like you said, if there's a child that's hitting, why is the child hitting? Right. Um, and and that's one. So that's one of the things. Like I want to talk about when you when we look at even child abuse prevention, right? Yeah. If you have if little, if your child comes home and says little Johnny keeps hitting or little Johnny's doing such and such. Normally, a parent will say, well, I want my child to stay away from this bad kid. But no one ever sits down to try to understand why little Johnny is acting out. Normally, it's because something is happening in little Johnny's environment to cause him to do that. And we need to examine what's happening so that we can stop that and also get him the help that he needs. To, to help him to stop acting out. And and part of it is to remove him from that environment, one, and then also um, get him to a place that will stop those triggers and then to teach him that what he was experiencing is not normal, is not healthy. And now yeah. let's show him what is healthy. Instead yeah. of saying, you know what, you're bad. Because we keep ingraining into little Johnny that he's bad, then that's all he's ever going to believe is that he's bad. So the same thing with someone who has been an abuser, if we always say you're an abuser, or then that's all they're ever going to know. And that to them, it's like, okay, well, fine, I'll just keep abusing because that's, that's all what I, I am. Know, and then that's, and that's all I am. So we yeah. can speak life into a person or we can speak death into a person. So same thing with right. a survivor. If we tell them you're a victim your whole life, then, then that's how they're going to live as though they're a victim. And honestly, that's why that's what drove me to want to establish this organization because when I was 15, 
And my story came out that, you know, what happened to me, statistically speaking, that my life was going to be a certain way. And I refused to listen to that at 15. And I said, I refuse to be labeled as a victim my whole life. I refuse to be labeled as a statistic. And so I said that I would use my life to show people that you do not have to live behind some label that someone puts on you. Right. And so, and of course, so do you I, of call yourself a survivor? Yeah, I'm sorry. Excellent. Do you, that's all right. Do you call yourself a survivor or a thriver? I call myself neither. I call my actually. So what I say is, I I I I always just refer to myself as Shawanda because that is the name that my mother gave me. Yeah. But I mean, if and you so were referring I, to domestic violence, I how would you? So and that's the thing. So that so that's the thing. I I I only started using either term because me going in front of audience and telling people that um, so this is what happened. So I always say this is what happened to me. So, and I shared, yes, this is what happened to me. And that's what I would leave it at. So yes, you know, yes, this happened to me, but yeah. I would, I've never in my 40, almost 45 years would ever say I'm a survivor. Um, I never in my almost 45 years would say I'm a thriver. That, those are ter- I, I just I've never used either one of those terms. I always say, yeah, that happened to me. Um, and I would always just tell my story to people. Um, but I have never used either of those terms. I, I just I, I never have. I, I'm, I, I guess because I never have been one to – use a lot of labels. I'm just a very different kind of person. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's nothing against anyone who does, but I, I've, I just never have. I just never have either way. Oh, and I understand that. I, I don't, um, well, in my PhD, I have to kind of identify the differences. So I identify mm-hmm. the differences as a victim that someone someone is in a situation, a DV situation Mm -hmm. currently, survivor who's someone who just got out and a thriver is someone who helps others following. Um, And um, uh, I have to have it like that (laughs) because I have to be able to identify. Exactly. No. And I I definitely understand it. And I think it's, and and again, I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that you got to remember at 15, that's when the label was tried to, when, when a lot of people tried to put the labels on me. So my whole life, I've always had to fight against labels. Fight the label, right. Yeah. I've always had to fight against labels. And then of course, you know, I've been a single mom, I've been divorced, you know, it's just, it's so many labels in my life that I've had to fight against. So I just, I just don't like labels. Yeah. (laughs) And Sometimes if you use the word victim too much, it's uh, believed that you stay a victim, which unfortunately I've seen that happen. People stay victims and they like being a victim. It works for them to be a victim. Uh, Not necessarily to stay in the situation, but to be a a constant victim of somebody or something or somehow after they're out of their Mm -hmm. abusive situation, they somehow, um, you know, the, 
Social Security is victimizing them. Are their friends victimizing them? They're a victim, constantly mm-hmm. a victim. And that's that's yeah. very sad. That's mm-hmm. very sad. Well, I love what you're doing. It's absolutely amazing. So um, uh, what made you decide to enter into this line of work? Um, so, yeah, so like I said, um, part of it had to do with all the labels um, when, right. when I was young. Um, I mean, even even trying to come into the Air Force was, was a challenge. Um, I, just because, you know, of, of my past, um, I, I shared in, in, in 20 Beautiful Women um, my story about um, my abuse and how so many times in my life, that barrier or that, that my past tried to come up as a barrier to try to keep me from moving forward. Um, of course, at 15, saying that, you know, I was going to have problems with men, I was going to have problems with relationships. Um, I will tell you that even at 15 years old, um, you know, I had case managers and everything that was there, and I did everything in my power to avoid all of those people um, that, try to basically determine what my life was going to be like. Um, and so I stopped going to a lot of appointments uh, that, you know, I was required to go to back then. Um, and so even years later, um, when I decided to join the Air Force, I had to get a waiver. I had to get a waiver, uh, basically with like special commission to come into the Air Force because I marked yes that I had went through um, some type of abuse. And so they said, oh, well, you know, we, we need to make sure that you're not going to do anything when you go to basic training. And I said, well, what, what is that supposed to mean? I said, well, because, you know, this happened to you and there's a lot of male instructors when you go down there and you're going to have a gun in your hand. We need to make sure that, um, you know, you're not going to get triggered and maybe do something when you go down there. And I was really insulted by that because, you know, I've been living my life and doing, you know, whatever I wanted to do. But, again, it was just something in my past because people just associated that, well, if you've been through any type of abuse, then these are things that you may do because, you know, so you're just kind of stigmatized a certain way. Um, so just because of all these things, um, I, again, was just very determined to just show people that, you know, don't let people put you in a box. Um, studies, studies are helpful. We need them. Um, they're very useful. We, we, we definitely need them. But it doesn't mean that you have to be painted in a box. All right. Um, and so with this, it is truly to allow people to come in and, have the life that they want, have the life that they desire. And so it's truly about realizing that there is hope. There is hope for you to have whatever life that you desire to have. And that's what I want to give them because I've accomplished everything in life that I've ever wanted to accomplish. And I'm still accomplishing even more. Um, And I've raised even a, a wonderful son um, who is accomplishing his dreams and his goals. And I let nothing stop me, no negativity, no matter what anyone else believes. And I do the same for my son. Nothing stops you but you. 
And so that's the passion. Yeah, that's excellent. That's excellent. Okay. Um, what are some of the perceived challenges of having a faith-based um, traditional home for survivors? What are your thoughts? So I I know that um, in some of the circles that I've been in that I hear <laughs> – it's it's very hard. I hear some of the horror stories about um, people who have gone to um, the church or they were raised in a church and maybe they did not get the help that they thought they should have gotten um, because it should be a safe place to go to um, just because of different types of religious beliefs. Um, um, especially when you're looking at, say, domestic violence, right? Um, and then you have scripture that is used to, I'll say, not used properly um, to keep someone or to not help someone to leave a domestic violence situation um, or to not allow someone to heal or to start a healing process. Um, so, when we have something and we're calling it a faith-based situation or a faith-based um, organization, that I, I can be, um, people can be kind of um, leery of that because they may assume that you have to believe what we believe coming in, and we don't want that at all. We don't want you to believe what we believe. Um, we just want to change that negative connotation that people may have um, to realize that there is hope and there is a way that we want to love you through your process and help you realize that um, the scriptures and the Bible and that the word of God is there to help you and not hurt you and that. There are a lot of challenges even in the Bible when it, when you may read that, that there may be some triggers in there as well because I know when you look at things like, um, you look at like a, we, we call it um, feminist criticism, um, you may see rape um, or different things like that in the Bible. And so how do you, how do you get through that? And so... Those are things that, you know, when people come in, you can actually sit down and, and, and maybe walk them through that so that, you know, they can still go through that healing journey and not use, not use that against them, but actually help them to see the truth in the word. Um, because just like if you watch a movie on TV and you may see a lot of that stuff on a television, um, it's, it's the same type of thing, but it's not meant to hurt you. It's not meant to turn you away. Um, some things in the Bible can be used pretty much just like uh, anything in, on a movie, um, anything on a soap opera. Um, some things are a story that you can learn a lesson through, but it's not meant to put you more so in a darker place. Right. So. Well, and that's awesome. Um that you're doing that. And I'm going to tell you right now that I, I sit in council with um, several other organizations 
And mine is very faith-based, uh, my nonprofit. And I say all the time that I help women heal through the atonement and the Savior. Uh, but none of these people mm-hmm. can use that terminology because they work for some sort of a government. And isn't that the saddest thing that you've ever heard? that they can't even use the term of where the healing has originated from the Savior. They can't even, they can't mention it. They can't talk about it. I think that's real sad. So I'm glad that you're doing just the opposite. I think that's absolutely wonderful. Okay. So um, another question I have is um, the future for DeSilla Comfort Center. Did we, I don't think we talked about that yet. So we have a lot of things coming up, and honestly, this is where we really need our community to um, to join us because Drusilla Comfort Center cannot um, cannot exist without our community. Um, one thing that we want to do is um, we want to establish a resource, a true resource center in our community. So we realize that there are a lot of um, a lot of agencies. Um, out here in Arizona, um, also in different various areas of in the West Valley that are kind of fighting for the same cause. But we want to kind of join forces with a lot of those agencies to kind of bring them out to out here in the Southwest Valley um, and kind of put together a resource center. We don't believe in re- reinventing the wheel. So we've kind of been out here um, realizing who does what, taking inventory of who exactly does what, um, how we can kind of partner with certain people. So if there's an agency, um, and some of them we do know, but I'm just going to say it this way, there's agencies that work with um, prevention, with, um, you know, child abuse prevention. Instead of us doing it on our own, why not bring that agency out, put them in our resource center, and so if our community needs that, they can just go into the resource center and go into the, and deal with classes, take the classes to where that agency will provide that service for them. If someone needs um, assistance in violence and uh, uh, prevention and violence and teen dating, why not them come in and have that class right there in that resource center instead of traveling all over Arizona to get those different resources? It doesn't make sense. We want right. to join forces and have it right in one location, not to mention the fact that there's only so much money that's available when it comes to grants, right? So right. why have us pitch against each other to fight for the money? Why not right. just have us join forces and use that money to work together and use it in the one in the same resource center? So we have an idea of the location we want to use, and so we are just looking for people to partner with us and fight together right here in the resource center that we want to open right here in Goodyear, and that's phase one. Phase two would be our transitional home that we're going to open in Goodyear as well. I love the idea of um, two different types of homes. The one one women go into immediately following, and then uh, a transition one back out into society. I think that's absolutely great. 
Um, what's a number that anyone can reach you at or an email uh, address that anyone can reach your uh, Decilla at? Do you have a email for it, yes. a phone number? Go ahead, share that with us. Uh, sure. So our phone number is 623-440-6963. Again, that's 623-440-6963. Our website is Decilla, D-E-C-I-L-L-A center.org. And then we are also on Facebook and Instagram. And that's where we put a lot of our um, um, awareness stuff. Um, we put up a lot of our events. And that is the E-E-C-I-L-L-A center. Um, and so we actually have a couple of uh, events coming up. We will be at the Goodyear Ballpark on Saturday uh, for the Goodyear uh, Hop and Hops. It's their uh, Easter extravaganza, and we are super excited about it. Uh Um, And so we we have a – this is like our big debut. So we've had a couple of small events leading up to this one. So we consider this one our huge debut. And we have um, a tent – I'm sorry, a a vendor event, a vendor booth that we're going to have out there. And so our first transitional home is going to be called the Mike and Sylvia House of Hope. And so for our event that we're doing, we have the children – are going to be able to personalize their very own house of hope. And we have 300 houses that are already ready to go. And for every young, every family that comes in with their children, they can sit down, we have stickers and paint and all kinds of things that the children can personalize their house of hope. And the parents can sign off saying that they will protect their children's dreams, which gives them hope for the future. Um, And they just walk away with this. Um, So that's what we're doing for this Saturday. And then we have a couple of other events coming up. We still need volunteers if anyone wants to come out and volunteer. Um, But we are super excited about this. And the houses are Beautiful. We put some a lot of them up on our Facebook page and Instagram, and we even had one of our volunteers, um, her daughter, decorated one. So we already have one that's um, fully done up, and it looks it looks so cute. She did a, a oh, beautiful awesome. job on it. Awesome. Well, that it sounds like you're doing absolutely wonderful things, and it's constantly ongoing and um, just so impressive. Mm-hmm. Um, share with us uh, a little bit about your books. You have two books, the first one being 20 Beautiful Women. Yes. Uh, 20 Beautiful Women is um, was published uh, this past December. And so um, it is a collaboration, and I was asked to be a part of that thanks to uh, Saba Tekel. Um, this is the sixth series of that book. And so in this one, I do share my story, and it is called, um, in my chapter, it's called um, My Success is Not Determined. And so it is basically helping people to understand that. Um, oh, um, and, it, and basically it says, like, you know, um, your acknowledgement does not determine my success, right? 
So how do we define success in life? Is it because of awards? Is it because I have a platform? Um, what, what does that look like? And so I share how, you know, I used to be, <laughs> I used to be an award winning karate champion when I was a kid. Um, <laughs> awesome. I, yeah. I, listen, I was this bony little scrawny kid <laughs> and I started um, karate when I was probably about three years old. And um, I won my first tournament before I was even in elementary school. And um, I used to travel all over the place. I was in the Junior Olympics. I won state and regional championships and all of that. But no one knew that I had this secret. Um, And my secret was that I was also being abused. Um. But I was also an honor student. Um, You know, I (laughs) I was a straight A student. Um, yeah. I always had perfect attendance. So I had this like great outside life, but then I also had this secret. And so when I published my first book, which was called Fresh Mana, um, someone told my mom, um, congratulations, it's your, t- it's, you know, like it's your turn. Cause I have all these cousins who are like really successful. Right. And I told my mom, I was like, you know, don't, that's great, but I don't, I don't know if I like that very much because, you know, we've always been successful, and just because other people didn't acknowledge that doesn't mean that now I'm successful. And honestly, right. my greatest, right? So honestly, my greatest success for me is overcoming all the things in my life that I've overcome. That's my wow, greatest that's awesome. success. So I share that in, in that story um, to help people realize that, you know, take, a, take an inventory of what you've done in your life and realize that you determine your success. You determine your success. Yeah, absolutely. Don't let anybody else determine that. Uh, now, um, would this be out of line to ask you what type of abuse you were enduring? Uh, no. Um, so I, I talk about it all the time. Um, I went through um, sexual abuse, um, physical abuse, mental abuse. Um, and honestly, um, I will tell you that even later in life through some relationships that I didn't realize it until probably later in life, right, that I went through um um, different types of abuse in my relationships. And I say that because, and, and this is why I'm a big advocate of people understanding that abuse is not always physical, especially when it comes to like dating. Right. Um, right. And that's where we have the misconception because, you know, I had to realize that myself, like, man, like that was, that was a jacked up situation. You know, that was kind of, that was really abusive and I didn't realize it going through it at the time, but thinking back on it and, you know, having to go through that healing process, it was like, man, that, that really was abusive. Yeah. Um, so I've, I've been through it. I've, I've been through almost all of it, um, which is why um, our center really will encompass so much. Right. Because I can actually speak to it. 
Right. How very yeah. sad. And I do understand the the fact that we don't we don't see psychological abuse because uh, abuse is physical and sexual. Just ask anyone. But they don't recognize mm-hmm. how extensive um, psychological abuse, mental abuse, emotional abuse, financial abuse, etc., is um, in well psychological abuse. Bottom line, it's the it, it's the basis for every single abuse. There's a reason why mm-hmm. they, someone doesn't just walk up to you and hit you. They soothe you mm-hmm. first as a piece of prey, and then they'll mm-hmm. as soon as they feel comfortable enough, will start hitting you because that's they have to up the ante on their abuse. But yeah, that's that's why I have this show. I want people to have their voices heard. I want people to understand that physical abuse is not and sexual abuse is not the start all or end all on abuse. And and I really like the fact when you said when you like stepped outside and you're like, "Wow, I sure was abused." But that's what happened to me. I didn't even know I was being abused. When you're in the middle of the storm, you don't know you're mm-hmm. being abused. Now when they start sexually abusing or physically abusing you, that we can relate to because that's right, all over right. the newspaper. But mm-hmm. um, psychological abuse, we don't even, I, I never would, I don't I didn't even know what it was. I mean, now I know it inside out and backwards. And I, I start watching people like no other, start listening to what they have to say. And I can start, you know, I can tell a, an abuser right off the bat because they, they say things the same. They do things the same. And, um, you, you just can't miss them, but um, yeah, yeah, it's uh, wild. Because we make because we make excuses for the manipulation and the control, exactly. right? Exactly. <laughs> and and that's where it's normally that's that's where it's normally prevalent. It's the manipulation and the control. It's the you know, and then it becomes the well, I take care of you, and and we right. don't realize that's the manipulation and the control. And it's right. well, I'm the one that takes care of you. I'm the one that provides for you. But then it's the I love you. And and then right. it's the, well, oh, yeah, let me see your me. phone, or what are you doing, yeah. or it's the jealousy. Oh, well, he's yeah. just jealous, but he loves me. No, it's, yeah. it's not jealous and I love you. That's manipulation and control. That's the abuse. And yeah. so that's not healthy. Right, yeah. right. And a big, like you said, a big problem with victims um, are they they will throw themselves in front of a bus for their abuser. And mm-hmm. Because that's just what we do. Um, I remember mm-hmm. after he uh, gave me two black eyes, I covered him up with um, with makeup, makeup because I didn't want anyone to feel bad for him. Mm-hmm. Oh you yeah. know, I, didn't, I yeah. didn't want anyone to be angry with him or feel, you know, like oh you horrible person. I but see because they won't understand, can, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. Cause, well, it's just they'll they'll think oh that poor. That poor girl, she has this guy, and and I didn't want that. I didn't want his friends. I didn't want my friends. I didn't want anyone to get involved. I I I just wanted him to be left alone, you know. And I protected him. And like you said, that's what we do. We protect our abuser. Mhm. Because we think no one will understand. So we're the right. only ones that will understand. Right. And so we have to protect them because we don't want other people ganging up on the, that person. But the right. truth is, is that we're the ones that don't understand. Right. Everyone else well, is the one that really sees. Yeah, we had. I had, and I know this is the way it is for victims uh, that are being perpetrated on. Is is we have a skewed sense 
of thinking. And we're not thinking right, but we're thinking the best we can at the time. Mm-hmm. And yeah. that's the hardest part is we don't know we're not thinking right. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like it's almost like a skewed sense of loyalty, it's, yeah. And and it's because we, it's because that the the perpetrator has skewed our sense of loyalty. Right. They, right. They have told us they they've helped us to redefine what loyalty is, and they've helped us to redefine what commitment is. Um, and, and, and it's just not loyalty. That's how we now it's, see the world. Yeah, it's it's everything. I mean, I call mm-hmm. it brainwashing. I call it torture because it is brainwashing and they do torture us. Constant threats, constant threats. If you do this, I'll do this to you. If you do this, I'll do this to you. If you do this, I'll do this to you. Constant threats. Well, sometimes it's also very subtle, but that's, so that's why I say redefining because sometimes that threat is not a very, um, it's not always that I'm going to do something to you. Sometimes it's, it's, sometimes it's a very subtle threat. And that's why it's very much so redefining. It's yeah. like, you know, it, it can just be an argument. And sometimes you just want to re, you just want to avoid the argument. Um, mm-hmm. And I will say, like, even for myself, sometimes it was just, I just don't want to argue about it. So I thought, I just want to avoid the argument. So right. that was just normal. And it wasn't a physical argument. It was just exhausting to argue. So Exactly. But, but arguing all the time, like, that's not normal. That, that's not healthy. That, right. That's that's still an unhealthy relationship that you should not be in if you're arguing all the time. If everything is turning into an argument and you're now avoiding argument, then it's time to rethink the situation. Right. Yeah. Right. Definitely rethink the situation and and um mm-hmm. you know, always entertain the idea is Am I in an abusive relationship? Because the first thing on our yeah. mind is, nope, we're not. I wouldn't. I wouldn't put up with that crap. Oh, yeah, you would. <laughs> yeah, you would. Yeah. He's, I'm like, how did that happen to me? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Strong in front of some, and not strong in front of others, right? Oh my yeah. gosh, for sure, for sure. And and you think you're being strong because sometimes you'll stand up and you're like, I'm strong. And then truthfully, you're not because they allowed you five minutes of fame and you got, you know, 10 years of harassment mm-hmm. for it. But anyway, mm-hmm. is there anything else that you want to share before we, we uh, before we end um, your interview? Um, so, no, like I said, we... Uh, we're always looking for uh, volunteers. Um, if people want to get involved, they can definitely reach out to myself um, by calling our number. Um, they can email us. Um, our information is on our website. They definitely reach out to us on, on Facebook or Instagram. We're definitely more active on, on there. Um, when it comes to support, people are always looking, asking, um, well, what, what, what do you need the most help, help with? My thing is this, if you're passionate about something, if you think you have a gift, um, let us sit down and talk so that we can see how to use your gift. Right. I, I, told a student, I told a student one time, um, she, I said, if I put a list of what I needed 
as far as positions on my website and you didn't see your interest on the website, would you still want to volunteer? And she said, no. I said, and that's why I don't have a list. I said, but if I say, I just need volunteers. I said, I just want to use your passion. Yeah. I said, would you be more apt to volunteering? And she said, yeah. I said, so that's why I leave it the way I do, because there's always room for something that you're passionate about. And there's right. always space for someone right. who's passionate about making a difference. No right. matter what your gift is, we can use it. Right. So and, if someone's just right. making, if you're passionate about making a change or making a difference, give us, give us a call and there's space for you. Yes. And and give us that number one more time, just in case someone uh, may have uh, started a little later. Absolutely. The number is 623-440-6963. And I am so grateful that you came on tonight. I can't tell you. You have so much to offer the people of, of that Eastern or Western Phoenix area, right? Good years, Western. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And, We're in um, South, Southwest Valley. <laughs> yeah. They actually have a Southwest Valley. That's great. <laughs> yeah. I thought it was a straight West, but that's my, no, you know. How we much are I... growing out here in good year. It's a good I... year out here in good year. <laughs> it's a good year out there in good year. <laughs> yes. That cracks me up. But, yeah, I, when I was out there, I mean, Goodyear was, like, way, way out there. <laughs> but now I know they're expanding oh, yeah. significantly. It's been about 25 years, I think. Oh, yeah, we are definitely growing, definitely growing. We have great um, we have great people out here in Goodyear, and we, we're growing, awesome. growing, and growing. And I do have to share with you, yeah. I think it's an absolutely awesome idea to – to work together with the other groups and not work separately that, you know, y'all have something different to offer and, um, and, and strengthen the resources there in, in Phoenix. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. I just, I don't believe in um, one reinventing the wheel, the wheel nor competing against each other because we are definitely working for the same cause. So yeah. there's definitely, definitely strength in numbers. So if we can work together, then we can definitely create a, a much greater impact. Um, yeah. Even Saturday when we're working together, we went and got resources from different um different agencies in our community like Bloom 365. They're doing great work, so we have some of their resources. Southwest Human Development, we have some of their resources. Um, And so we'll be handing those out along with our own. We don't need to brand everything for ourselves. We want to share other resources and let people know that these agencies exist. So, yeah. That's wonderful. So I just want to thank you for coming on tonight and um and I will be actually be getting a hold of you later because I want to hear a little bit more about some things because of some goals of uh, my team as of late. Um okay. maybe can we we can learn something from you for sure. <laughs> absolutely. It, it, absolutely. And it's been such a pleasure being on. Thank you for having me. Oh, and allowing absolutely. me to share about the Silicon for Center. 
Well, it was a blessing for us as well. I have to share that because uh, I think every, we can all learn from each other for sure. Yes, yes. Okay, you have a good night. Thank you so much. Thank you. You have a good night. Okay, bye-bye. Bye. I, I want to thank Shawanda again uh, for coming on our show tonight. She was absolutely marvelous, and I love learning about her, her wonderful organization. I want to remind everybody about um, a domestic violence and abuse conference here in southern Utah, June 7th and 8th, uh, 2019. If you're interested in it, please go to the savesavve.org for more information on that. And I want to thank my listeners for listening tonight and learning more of how to help themselves and others in recovery from domestic violence. Next week, I will have Allison Smith on, who will discuss trafficking. So we're going to be uh, talking to her about that. So in the next week, I want you to please stay safe and have a great night.